0: Hey, I'm Ari Goldfein. I'm Caroline Simon. And this is another episode of 1600 Pen, the DP's campus politics podcast. And today we're talking about Israel-Palestine. Actually,
1: we are talking about talking about Israel-Palestine. And personally, I don't see anything that could go wrong here. Uh, Just like two Jewish girls uh, from America, white, deciding to talk about Israel by ourselves. This is fine. This is absolutely, (laughs) totally fine.
0: In all seriousness, we tried to talk to a range of people with different perspectives and be as fair as we possibly could. We literally sought out so many different people of such a wide range.
1: So we hope this is a full view, or at least as full as we can provide. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, today we are talking about talking about Israel Palestine, meaning we're talking about the discussion of Israel Palestine on Penn's campus, whether or not it's open and fluid, where it exists from birthright trips to clubs on campus to academic settings. We'll also be discussing the fact that it's often hard to talk about this
0: because labels are assigned to people who have divergent views, halting conversation. The Israel Palestine debate is controversial on college campuses right now at Penn, which has a large Jewish population, the debate can get a lot more interesting, but also a lot more tense. Yeah, according to Hillel's International
1: College Guide, 26% of undergraduate and graduate students at Penn are Jewish. It means there are a lot of voices participating in the conversation, um, and the pro-Israel movement here is very strong. We have a lot of different groups focusing on Israel too. It's not just political groups. Some are interested in Israeli
0: business, others interested in culture, um, but there are a lot. there's a lot of organizing and pro-Israel policies. On other college campuses that lean liberal like Penn does, the pro-Palestine movement is much bigger, and it usually overlaps with other far-left activist movements. One major focus of the pro-Palestine movement is the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions campaign, or BDS. According to its mission statement,
1: BDS's goal is to use political and economic pressure to prevent the Israeli occupation of Palestinian land. It's been popular in other college campuses, and there was even a BDS conference here a few years ago. There are several organizations that have tried to fight BDS, usually through dialogue or resistance. However, there is one anti-BDS group that has tried to fight the movement by publishing the names of, and biographies of students and professors who were involved in it.
2: This is like something that's it's, um, actually remarkably big on, on college campuses. It's essentially an organization uh, that uh, has chapters in a lot of uh, American universities uh, where people go and monitor people who are critical of Israel. Um, and they 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 take these people, and there are literally hundreds of, of people, like hundreds of individuals, students, professors, whoever. Uh, they take them who are critical of Israel, whether it's you know as easy as simply uh, supporting BDS on Facebook, uh, to something as you know uh, establishing or I guess organizing a protest for uh, Israeli occupation or against the Israeli occupation. Um, they they take these people, they conduct biographies, background searches, and they place them in. Um, in, in their website, and their website clearly has an agenda. It puts the MSA, the Muslim Association with Hamas, mm-hmm. it puts SJP with the Muslim Brotherhood. It clearly has an agenda, and the agenda in this case is to silence people critical of Israel, and to silence people who advocate for, for Palestinian human rights. Uh, so the reason why is um, I unfortunately cannot speak. Uh, freedom of speech does not apply to me in this country. Uh, so the reason why I chose to remain anonymous is for my safety, for the safety of my, my, my uh, friends who advocate for Palestinian human rights.
1: The student speaking has chosen to remain anonymous
0: as a way to protect himself and his friends against the organization he was speaking about, the Canary Mission. Pro-Israel groups at Penn aren't as radical as the Canary Mission, but a lot of them are concerned about the BDS movement, and they think it's unnecessarily critical of Israel. I talked to Sophie Kruger, the president of the Penn-Israel Public Affairs Coalition, PIPAC is the pen chapter of a national political organization that lobbies for a strong U.S.-Israel relationship. We should probably say here that the people we spoke to in this podcast don't necessarily represent the views of everyone in the organization, they're just speaking from their own experiences.
3: I think that a lot of people are mostly concerned about um, the BDS movement, which is boycott, divestment, and sanctions, mm-hmm. and The reason that is, is because it places all of the blame on Israel, and um, I believe unfairly so. So I think, you know, it's sort of like, it takes two to tango, is if there's going to be peace, it can't just be on the Israelis, but there are lots of historical examples of where Palestinian leadership has turned down the opportunity for peace. And when it comes to looking at groups, terrorist organizations like Hamas, who is launching rockets into Israel, not at military targets, but at civilian areas, um, that can't be something that exists if there's peace. And so I think it's a very complex issue. Um, I would love the opportunity to sort of sit down and discuss it with people of different views because I think that we have a lot more in common
0: than we actually disagree on. Ian Lustig is a Penn professor who's been teaching about Arab-Israeli relations for decades. He told me that he supports certain parts of the BDS movement and that got him in trouble with the Canary Mission.
4: Well, this is not new in this domain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I have to say, for example, I had, uh, there's an organization called Campus Watch, there's organizations called, uh, yell a canary that monitor professors and even send spies into your classroom I have had spies in my classroom people who have acknowledged that that's what they were doing and uh, wanna uh, either proudly or uh, em- embarrassedly but they have acknowledged it and this kind of intimidation reaches across across the country coming from outside the campuses and it affects colleagues I have colleagues at this at this university who will not talk about Arab-Israeli relations in public because they are afraid of being uh, labeled in some way.
1: Professor Lustig explained to us why students may come into Penn predisposed to have strong opinions on this issue even if they aren't very educated about its nuances. Now let's
4: talk about students here. You said, and you're right, that some students this touches them directly and of course there are two kind of students like that. They're the uh, Arab Muslim students for whom Palestine is a living, breathing tragedy, and they feel it in their bones and in their family life, and they've heard about it throughout their life, and they feel uh, puzzled by the inability of most people that they know to appreciate it automatically, the injustices. And the other side are students, often Jewish students, it can also be evangelical, but especially Jewish students who've been brought up. And the other way to think that that the anti-Semitism that they fear and that their families have experienced historically is being recapitulated by attacks on a country that they uh, imagined was the paragon of all virtues. That both sides, but especially that letter, came to uh, came to college without very much knowledge about the without, about Israel or about the Arab world, but with a great deal of passion about it and a lot of sensitivities. So there's a tremendous amount that gets accomplished in that encounter. Uh, Many of the people here are bystanders to that encounter, and they're kind of confused, and they're pulled in multiple directions. But there's a lot that goes on in that specific encounter among Jewish students who come here with a lot of propagandistic training, and Arab and Muslim students who come here with with deep Personal experiences, not a lot of appreciation of the other side or a lot of historical depth in their association, uh, appreciation of what Israel is.
1: It's not just Arab and Muslim students who arrive at Penn with deep personal connections to the conflict. I spoke to
0: Nitai Kaspi, an Israeli American Jew whose family has lived in Israel since its founding as a Jewish state. He acknowledged that he really only received one perspective growing up, but the classes at Penn helped widen his lens.
5: I didn't really have access to or I didn't know that I had access to things sort of outside of that realm. Okay. Um, so then coming to college, I really wanted to take the academic opportunities here. So um, fall semester, I mean I didn't do it right away, <laughs> fall semester of my sophomore year, I took um, History of the Modern Middle East.
4: Okay.
5: Uh, it's History 81, highly, highly recommended. Okay. Great. So this was the first time that I was sitting in the classroom learning about the Middle East, learning about how things happened and how things got to the way they were.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and it was fascinating, I learned so much. It was probably the class that I like, learned the most in my oh, time cool. here so far. And um, it definitely taught me about, it. Sort of, so it allowed me, I mean obviously we learned about history that was like outside of Israel-Palestine, but when we did talk about um, Israel and, well, Israel-Palestine, um, it showed me perspectives that I had not really thought mm-hmm. about before. Um, and I think learning about the history, so I sort of learned about the history of Israel through, like, I guess you could say oral history, I mean, what my parents right. taught me about their experiences and what my grandparents said about their experiences. Um, and they this... really talk
1: about, like, the wars and stuff. Exactly, like, yeah,
5: right. Yeah. Um, and so here I was sitting in the classroom learning about, like, this is sort of a third-person perspective. Okay. Um, this is what things were like on both sides of the conflict, right. you know, whether it was the wars or um, other, I guess, developments in the creation of the state. Um, and that was, that was brand new for me. Okay. So I th- I, think that, I think I learned a lot there um, and definitely wanted to continue that.
1: We also spoke to Liza Bernstein. Liza is the former chair of J Street UPenn, another pro-Israel group on campus. J Street's goals diverge from PI-PAC. PI mission statement, as a college chapter of the National APAC Organization, is to promote a strong U.S.-Israel relationship. J Street, is a national, as a national organization, advocates not just for a strong U.S.-Israel relationship, but also prioritizes a two-state solution and peace. Things get even more complicated as you talk about J Street, UPenn specifically, which may diverge from that mission statement.
0: Like Nitai, Liza has used academia to explore the Israel-Palestine conflict and open up the conversation. Working on her thesis allowed her to think about the Israel-Palestine conflict in a way that diverged from typical discussion on campus. I started off with the question of why,
6: why is Israeli identity entrenched in the denial of the Palestinian? Mm-hmm. Um, which you can see like historically and educationally, even if you just look at names of cities in Israel, you see, um, Israelis kind of renaming old Palestinian villages with new Hebrew Jewish names. Interesting. So it's this very like zero sum game of like, it's either Jewish or it's Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I actually found or what I'm arguing is that it the idea of this Palestinian other as this, like, constant antagonistic relationship didn't really emerge into the 70s and 80s, okay. um, which I think is hopeful. <laughs> right. Is that, like, when Israeli identity was really being formulated and cultivated,
1: the Palestinian other wasn't something entrenched within it. Ian Lustig, who coincidentally is Liza's thesis advisor, thinks that within an academic setting, discussion is often more open and productive.
4: Personally, and this may be just the ones that I've been to, But I've been very impressed with the level of dialogue at actual events that take place at Penn. I think Penn is a place where there is a lot of dialogue across the divides, where Arab and Muslim and Palestinian and Jewish students of different political persuasions uh, have mixed a lot more and a lot more civilly than I've seen in most other places.
1: Israeli students like Nitai are not the only Penn students with a deeply felt connection to Israel. A lot of Jewish students at Penn participate in Birthright. This program provides a free trip to Israel for Jewish students, aiming to allow students to fulfill their birthright to connect with their ancestral homeland. Birthright is an undeniable presence at Penn. You can see it in the promotional signs walking down locusts or photos on the trip from your friend's Facebook walls. Liza participated in Birthright, and I asked her opinions about it. I have a lot of mixed feelings. One is
6: that I think a lot of people take it for granted that birthright is an inherent right for Jews. Like there's mm-hmm. obviously no birthright for Palestinians.
4: Right. Um, so maybe a
6: Palestinian born. Right. Can't go back and visit their yeah. country if they're living in America or what have you. Um, so there's already an inherent financial and power boundary there. Um, for me, it wasn't so political, which I don't know if that's good or bad think sometimes that's worse because they don't address the conflict so you don't even realize um you had like a great time right exactly yeah. <laughs> um but it's interesting i'm torn i'm torn because i think it questions people or it makes people question their jewish identities like the fact that they have like bat mitzvahs there i think is like interesting in terms of people's like journeys to like maybe they didn't grow up jewish but now they're more intrigued in their judaism I don't think that should be tied to an inherent political agenda, which is what birthright is. Okay. And there's no reason they can't be encouraging those things like in America.
1: I also asked her anonymous contributor about his feelings towards birthright as a Palestinian. He echoed a lot of what Liza had to say regarding birthright's complicated nature. His grandmother was born in Jaffa and his father in Jerusalem, two places that, as a Jewish person, I've had the privilege of visiting personally. He doesn't have the same opportunities.
2: She was born in Jaffa and she could never return. I, as her grandson, can never return. My father, who was born in Jerusalem, can never go back. My mother, whose parents were from Gaza, can never go back. Um, birthright implies that, or rather it implies like a sort of a justice in being able to go back to your you know, place where you're from. <coughs> mm-hmm. And if, if you want to go on your birthright, I, I don't have a problem with that. The problem is that the birthright program is yeah, it does not apply to me, even though my father, my parents, grew up in a country where I can never go back to.
0: These two contributors presented nuanced perspectives on the program, but birthright and academic conversations are just a few of the factors of the Israel-Palestine conversation on campus. On-campus clubs engage on the issue in ways that often involve heightened emotions. One of those organizations is SJP, or Students for Justice in Palestine. They've protested about the issue a number of times, by covering college green with flags to symbolize people killed in Israeli invasions, and putting teddy bears on Lucaswalk walk to communicate why they think Israeli activities can be harmful. These protests certainly grab your attention, and they can be really powerful. But for some members of the pro-Israel community, they can also be very frustrating. I think one of the things that a lot of people in pi find upsetting
3: about a lot of those demonstrations is that it only tells part of the story. Um, And so what we try to focus on is the idea that we know Israel isn't perfect. I know Israel isn't perfect. There are things that I would like to change, but I think that Israel needs to be safe and secure. And the same way that I feel that America needs to be safe and secure. um, But there are certainly things in America that I would change. And so I don't want to sort of paint this picture of I believe everything is perfect.
1: PIPAC prioritizes the American-Israeli relationship that is their first and foremost aim as a national lobbying organization, strong American support for Israel. So as Sophie explains, while some of their members may be more willing than others to critique Israel or diverge on particular issues, they believe that outwardly they should present a unified, supportive voice. One was the Iran nuclear deal. A lot of
3: members felt that
1: PIPAC should have done more
3: to lobby their members of Congress, sort of saying we don't like the deal um, I remember that Pi Pack had a lot of discussions about like so many of our members feel strongly about this, but we had a few members that speak up and say, Listen, we just don't agree. We think it's a good deal, we like this deal, I'm a member of Pi Pack and I was told that when I joined Pi Pack, like I could come with my own views. And ultimately what we said was like, Those people are right. We're not gonna alienate people because they have a different view on this. But I remember that a few members of Pi Pack, um, started a group that existed for a while called uh, Penn Students for Nuclear-Free Iran. And so, I mean, they met each other through Pack and they knew each other, and so they um, were able to do it sort of through that avenue, but
1: um, that's never something that PiPAC would do because we don't want to alienate people. J Street is a little more willing than PyPAC to criticize Israel openly, especially the Palestinian occupation and other controversial Israeli policies. Liza identifies this difference, the willingness to criticize Israel, as something that impedes conversation. The frustrating
6: part is that both, I mean, there are multiple sides, but if you're going to make it simplistic, people are going to speak out about Israel and people who aren't going to criticize Israel. Both are very concerned with the survival of the state of Israel, Mm -hmm. but they see the other person's opinion as detrimental to its future.
1: That's interesting.
0: Which totally shuts down the conversation. Liza and our anonymous contributor also talked about something else that they think can get in the way of productive discussion. The perception that there's no difference between anti-semitism and criticizing Israel. Anti-semitism is something that's been on a lot of people's minds lately, especially after bomb threats to local Jewish community centers and vandalism in nearby graveyards.
1: Yeah, it's definitely rising. My JCC back home received a bomb threat, and I'm sure that's true of a lot of students here at Penn. But this rise in anti-semitism makes it harder to distinguish the difference between anti-semitism and criticizing Israel for a lot of students on campus. Throughout her time here, Liza says she's been called a self-hating Jew, even though her critiques of Israel, from her point of view, come from a place of supporting Israel, our anonymous contributor faces similar labeling.
2: It's it's less of an issue with regards to freedom of speech as as it is an issue of uh, people simply being ignorant. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've met I, I've conducted you know dialogue where I, I've talked to people about Israel Palestine and just the thing that really um, fascinates me or really just shocks me is I'd say. Uh, how people automatically assume any criti- criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and while I completely um, you know detest anti-Semitism, I think it's again this is I, I advocate against, or anti-Semitism I I you know we stood in solidarity SJP stood in sol- solidarity with the with You're the coming people. from a human rights. Perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, this is a human rights perspective. I am you know actively you know working against any sort of hate, regardless of any um, affiliation, religious or. or or whatever, uh, but people automatically assume that criticism of, criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism. Uh, so the freedom of speech in this case is, is drastically limited when people associate um, the criticism of the movement with criticism of the religion. Mm-hmm. And my, my entire life, I've just kind of been working to show the difference that, no, we can still advocate for human rights uh, in a way that is critical of Israel, but in a way that, you know, um, should not be considered anti-Semitic.
0: The issue he has differentiating between anti-Semitism and anti-Israel is not something Sophie doesn't acknowledge. She admits that while she might not see things this way, some members of her organization see it differently. But also, guarding against anti-Semitism is the reason she supports Israel in the first place. I mean, the news lately, obviously, has been upsetting
3: for me. Um, I would say we are fortunate that, I mean, I can speak for myself, I have never run into an anti-Semitic incident at Penn. Um, and I'm very fortunate that I can say that. Um, there's not really an answer to that question, Yeah. because some people believe that anti-Semitism and anti-Israel are tied together, and others believe that they're not. Um, I think that in the United States today, there is a lot of anti-Semitism. For me, I I support Israel for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons that I support Israel is that I really believe that should there come a time in the United States where it's totally possible that there's so much anti-Semitism that it's unsafe for the Jewish people, which it was really safe in Germany right before the Second World War, and then suddenly it wasn't. So for me, Israel
0: needs to exist in case that happens. This conversation is so hard because it's deeply emotional. It's historical, it's about survival, it's about human rights, and it's about identity. But that doesn't mean that good conversations can't happen between people who have divergent views.
2: One of my best mentors is a rabbi. Mm -hmm. Um, And he and I, we've gotten lunch like dozens of times. I see him whenever I go back home. Mm -hmm. Um, And because he recognized, you know, He's, you know, like he's been to Israel many times, and he studied it. And the more that he's been there, the more that he's he's grown critical of its systems and its policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we see, um, like you know, something like a Palestinian and, and a rabbi who would, like, you know, ten years ago never see each other. Like right. Now we're we're very close. So it's just like there's, I think there's a growing or there's a shift in terms of people being or becoming more aware and becoming more exposed mm-hmm. um, and like yeah this is one of my like hallmarks I think of, of you know home it's just like I have a really incredible uh mentor, really who's a, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's a rabbi and, and like we, we've talked about it and, and, and we realized like there is at the end of the day human rights is never uh, a question of politics mm-hmm. um, and like you need to always recognize human rights.
0: At Penn these conversations don't just have to happen in classrooms or events they can happen informally between friends We asked Nitai about some of the conversations he has with his pro-Palestine friends.
5: Funny enough, it usually comes up when we're intoxicated, right? (laughs) (laughs) because um, inhibitions are gone. But Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I I admire a lot of the work that they do. Uh Um, I think uh, they're very passionate about Palestine, Um, they're very passionate about uh, the social justice perspective on things, Mm -hmm. which I really admire. and yeah, and, and we we do talk about it. I think I've had a few conversations here and there about you know whether or not the two-state solution is feasible, um, and even if it is feasible, if it's even the best thing to do. Uh, and I th- I think I mostly learn from my friends who sort of are very uh, engaged with um, pro-Palestine uh, advocacy and engagement. So. Um, I guess it's another way that I learn.
0: Thanks for listening to 1600 Pen. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Caroline Simon, and Ari Bultfein. Hi! <laughs> Joyce Farmer produced the episode, and Andrew Ellis, provided theme Music. This podcast is made possible by The Daily Pennsylvanian. The next episode will be out in two weeks. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at podcast at the DP.com. Email Joyce. Email her all the emails. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next time.